Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. We were in every single border, city, town, train station, not only in Poland, but in the other six countries surrounding Ukraine. The 150 million meal only happened because we had more than six, 7,000 Ukrainians helping Ukrainians. I think the emergencies require immediate response and the response cannot be a meeting. If you only train to follow a plan, What happens when things don't go as planned? So, what did we learn? Always the best of people shows up in the worst moments of humanity. And this gives me hope. Every business has a role to play. Maximizing the potential that food can have in the betterment of every single community across America and around the world. That's why I always say, let's invest in longer tables, no higher walls. This should be the way forward. That's Jose Andres, the world-famous chef, restaurateur, and founder of nonprofit World Central Kitchen. Since Russia invaded Ukraine, he's helped World Central Kitchen provide more than 150 million meals in the region to refugees and those in need. I'm Bob Safian, former editor of Fast Company, founder of the Flux Group, and host of Masters of Scale Rapid Response. I wanted to talk to Jose because the creativity and daring he's shown should be an inspiration for every entrepreneur and every business leader. He's galvanized action to meet emergencies all over the globe and at the same time continues to ambitiously expand his company and his restaurants, even launching a compelling new podcast called Longer Tables. Jose has an infectious passion, whether talking about humanitarian aid, cooking in the kitchen, or the advantages of flatter organizational structures. He shares stories about meeting President Zelensky in Ukraine, cajoling the Spanish Postal Service into donating 747s, and why he believes it's good to cry. Jose's mindset about leaning into action over planning is a powerful reminder of what's possible for businesses and all of us if we just throw ourselves into making a difference. We'll start the show in a moment. After a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. (laughs) That's Aparna Saran, Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business. And she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, 
as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. I'm Bob Safian, and I'm here with Chef Jose Andres, or Cook, as he likes to be known, a restaurateur, founder of the nonprofit World Central Kitchen, and host of the brand new podcast, Longer Tables. Jose is coming to us from his home country of Spain today. Jose, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bob. It's great to be with you. You never seem to stop moving. You have new restaurants opening, New York, L.A., and so on. You have a new media business called Jose Andres Media that includes the new podcast. And then, of course, there's the tremendous work of World Central Kitchen. You recently spent 12 days in Ukraine. And the scale leap that World Central Kitchen has managed this year is amazing. I mean, 150 million meal served in a war zone. On the trip, you met in person with President Zelensky. And I'm curious, had you met him before? What was the goal of that meeting and of the trip? Because you'd spent a lot of time in Ukraine and surrounding areas this year already. I've been probably 70, 75 days total. But the important is at the very beginning, in every emergency, is the moment that you set the tone of your intentions. World Central Kitchen, we got previous experience on refugees. We've done that in places like Colombia. We were going to Poland to help the massive outflux of Ukrainian refugees. This is how we began, but in very few days, we were in every single border, city, town, train station, not only in Poland, but in the other six countries surrounding Ukraine. And we began doing 24-7 cafes. Very quickly, we moved into Ukraine and we arrived to Lviv, bringing the know-how World Central Kitchen have and to help them pay for the cost of everything. We were doing 500,000 hand meals every day. Ukraine has food. Don't misunderstand me. What they didn't have was an organization that will cover the holes, will cover the gaps created in the system as millions of Ukrainians were fleeing. Supermarkets began shutting down. Transportation, delivery of goods is chaos, is war. The 150 million meal only happened because we had more than six, 7,000 Ukrainians helping Ukrainians. I've been traveling very much all across Ukraine. And quite frankly, it's amazing to see how these people are fighting as one, defending a country, defending democracy, defending freedom. You talk about covering the gaps. How do you know what the gaps are? We like to come and see boots on the ground. We don't like to have the meetings at the beginning. This is for other organizations. Why? Because sometimes it's too much time spent in meetings. Sometimes you call a mayor. Do you need water? And the first answer they give you is, I don't need water. Everything is under control. But then you know that there are people in neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, forgotten neighborhoods, 
that they are not receiving any water. We are not trying to make anybody look bad. We only come to help. Why? Because it's an emergency and you need every resource to combat that emergency. President Zelensky was very willing to receive not only myself, but these two amazing Ukrainian women who are the leaders of World Central Kitchen Ukraine operation. And for me, it was a joy to be there with President Zelensky, Jermak, his chief of staff, many of his other team members were supposed to be a 30 minutes, went almost over an hour and 20. And we were talking about the amazing things that the chefs, the volunteers were doing, not only doing hot food and delivering it, but also when we began making the bags, taking care of the lacks of supermarkets, we began delivering bags for a family of four for a week over 7,500 delivery points. We will never miss a day. People will be waiting for us. That's what World Central Kitchen does, trying to overcome the obstacles to make sure that food will not be one problem. We did 150 million meals, thanks especially to the amazing American people that support what World Central Kitchen does in every single emergency. So to all of them, thank you. I watched the documentary, Ron Howard's documentary on World Central Kitchen, which is great for listeners. It's available on Disney Plus and Hulu. And you you see the story of the transition from a scrappy organization to a, a real established player. But in that documentary, which finishes before the war in Ukraine, you talk about the importance of systems, but also about like creativity and chaos. The systems that you put in place in Ukraine had to be different from what you had done before, right? What did you learn in that? The wall is functioning too much on creating plans and following plans. Organizations like FEMA in the United States, uh, World Food Program, the International Red Cross, all the organizations that respond to emergencies, I think it's too much planning. And I think the emergencies require immediate response. And the response cannot be a meeting. If you only train to follow a plan, what happens when things don't go as planned in an emergency? Because emergencies are different. You need to adapt the response to every one of the emergencies, especially if you want to be fast. So I always say that planning is something that has to be forgotten. What we need to start is training our teams to be more about adapting. And obviously the meeting shouldn't be happening as people are suffering. The meeting should be happening next to the people that you're trying to help. That's why being in Ukraine, we meet locals and we meet local restaurants and local chefs and local producers and local distributors and local volunteers. And all of a sudden, as you meet all these people, the plan just happens, creates itself. Obviously you need to have money to pay for all of that, but we are known or more often than not sometimes to start big operations without a lot of money in the bank to make them happen. So in Ukraine, we did a lot of different things. We were the first NGO that came by boat. We were able to partner with Open Arms, which is a Spanish NGO that rescue refugees coming from North Africa. And I told them, can we use one of your boats to try to see if we can access Ukraine by boat? Remember, no boats were going in and out. We were able to use Romania and go up the Danube River and get to the city of Ismail, where we were protected because the river is next to Romania. 
Russia is not going to be attacking a river next to a NATO European country. So we were safe. We were able to do that boat road a few times. I learned that we had other ways to be bringing food. Even at the very beginning, in the first two weeks, we brought two planes from Spain, the Spanish postal office. We have great, great working uh, situation because the pandemic, the postal workers, they deliver hot food. At the same time, they will be delivering letters to the elderly people that couldn't leave their home. And out of that partnership, it's amazing. They were able to give us two rights under 747, bringing a lot of things we had in Madrid that could be helping us to feed people in the border. We began doing, as I said, the hot meals. How? With restaurants. Cooks know how to cook and know how to scale. And if one restaurant that does 100 meals, you challenge them. Can you do 2,000? They will figure out how to do the 2,000. Imagine multiply this by 500 restaurants. That's why for me, restaurants are very important, especially if it's not like in a hurricane, like in Bahamas, that every restaurant was destroyed. In Ukraine, we have restaurants in Kiev, in Lviv, in many other cities that they're not. So what we do, my God, we can get a network of restaurants quicker. We can do a McDonald's chain in one week. And that's what we did. People in rural areas, we will bring once a week those bags of food. We were doing over 40, 50,000 bags of food every single day, every single day. This is 20 meals in each bag. This is a million plus meals every day through the bags, plus the four, 500, 600,000 hot meals. That's a lot of meals per day at the bit. And you're doing all this in a war zone, right? I mean, people are in harm's way. I was very worried about anything happening to people of World Central Kitchen. We got wounded in Kharkiv when a missile destroyed one kitchen. Thanks God, nothing happened. Those men and women, next day, they move all the equipment to a new kitchen and they began cooking. Why? Because it's their country. They're defending their country. And they're food fighters. They're defending the country with the way they know. Cooks know how to cook and feed people. That's the way to defend their country. Unfortunately, south of Kharkiv, in a city called Chuihiv, one man and one woman, they perish because they were sleeping in a cultural center, an missile hit, and they were volunteers with World Central Kitchen. They are World Central Kitchen. This is the risk we are taking. Those men and women that perish, and many others, that only because they are bringing relief and they are paramedics or they are with a Red Cross or they are used citizens helping citizens, that all of a sudden you are, you're trying to help somebody and a bomb comes down and ends your life. That's every day in Ukraine right now. It's been for the last six months. So what did we learn? That always the best of people shows up in the worst moments of humanity. And this gives me hope in a way, because we need to make sure that the goodness I see in places like Ukraine or in any other emergency is what carries on every single day of our lives. We need more of what can I do to help others? This is the spirit I see in humanity. We need to make sure our leaders, our politicians carry this same spirit. The mindset you describe about being adaptable and finding new resources and being optimistic, that combination, how much of that is informed by your experience as an entrepreneur yourself in starting restaurants and having to figure out what works in those more confined situations? We have a tendency to create organizations that they are far away to pyramidal. The boss is at the very top, 
everybody's underneath. I think this is okay for certain things, but if you want true success, why we don't create the organization is flatter, much flatter. Yes, the big boss, the leader of the organization, but all of a sudden you are not the leader because the title behind the door of your office. You're the leader because you have boots on the ground. You're leading because you're there. You're making it happen. You're listening to others that may have very unique points of view of how we can adapt quicker and faster to a situation we're facing. Can be, how do we deliver to 14 islands in the Bahamas with no kitchens in those islands? How, how we make it happen? Helicopters, yeah, but how many? And where do we get them from? And where do we refuel when all the airports are down? My God, did you see? Yes. Do we bring a boat yes. to have a refueling base? Oh, yeah, let's bring the boat. But it's not manual that says we had to do it this way. So I think it's very important just to create organizations that are flatter, where everybody has a moment, an opportunity to pitch in. And also for me, it's very important that everybody sees at once how this works, because it takes many years sometimes to teach everybody the operations. And if you have to go one by one, it's very hard. It takes forever. Nobody is afraid to raise their hand or use a speak without raising their hand because sometimes you need quickness. And this is what I believe should be very well-run organizations, especially in emergencies. Uh, obviously, every system will have its downsizes. But I believe a flatter organization will always have much better impact than pyramidal organizations. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning and I said, you know what? I'm going to just like share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was like sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible and we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You write something like this and your heart is pounding. Should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. Before the break, we heard Jose Andres talk about how World Central Kitchen has been able to provide 150 million meals to Ukrainians by leaning into action over planning. Now, he talks about how food can be an agent of positive change and how business leaders can amplify their impact. He also emphasizes the importance of storytelling and connecting from the heart. Plus, he shares lessons about making the most of every moment, deferring to your team, and why it's good to cry. The listeners to the show are business leaders and entrepreneurs primarily. You've said that food is an agent of change. 
Can anything be an agent of change? Any business? Every business has a role to play. One of the problems we face is that we have uh, two parties. Often they keep pointing at each other without sometimes not clear ideas that they are put on the table to solve the problems. You may have the Republicans right now, you're saying, oh, look at all the poverty in the cities. Look at all the people in the streets of the cities. Well, and then you go to the rural areas of America in states that are heavily Republican, and do you see the poverty are in those states? So why are we playing like children, finger pointing at each other, like putting your, your finger on your eye, versus what can we do together as two parties looking in the best interest of the American people to solve poverty and hunger, and especially children going hungry forever? Like number one. Let's announce that we're going to have universal breakfast and a school lunch. Republicans and Democrats supporting because there are on both parties children that they are going hungry. This wouldn't be something amazing. Businesses can be and their leaders being outspoken in front of the senators and congressmen in the places they are, making sure that that simple idea has a chance one day to be moved forward. Because it's more than just giving a freebie to children. They concentrate better in school. They do better in school. When they leave school, they have a chance to go to university. Those people at the end will be part of the economic system of ever-growing America, where businesses will be able to be hiring those very talented young people. Let's feed them better quality food. And therefore, we don't have to spend so many billions of dollars in keeping America healthier once they are older. So let's stop throwing money at the problem and start investing in the solution, healthy citizens versus repairing sick citizens. In the process, we are paying the farmers and we are making rural America better. We are hiring local people, making sure that every kitchen in every school is functional. When a hurricane happens, those schools can be the place where it becomes a shelter. All of a sudden, we can be using that kitchen to be feeding for the next few days or weeks until the emergency goes away, a refugee emergency center. Do you see how simple it is? That's why I'm requesting that the White House and the President of the United States maximizing the potential that food can have in the betterment of every single community across America and around the world. Food is a national security issue. We are seeing it right now in Ukraine. We are going to be seeing it in America before we know. This is going to create a lot of crisis in the next few years, not only in America, but in Europe, in Asia. That's why I always say, let's invest in longer tables, no higher walls. This should be the way forward for America and for any country around the world. Your passion about this is infectious and you get great energy out of us. You've launched this Longer Tables podcast. There's a TV component planned. How important is storytelling to having a positive impact? I mean, not everyone in your business would say, oh, the thing I should do now is start a podcast. Not that I, I love podcasts. As you know, I'm, I'm here doing it. But not everyone would make that their choice. Was this uh, French philosopher in 1826, Briat Sabaran, he brought a book called The Physiology of Taste, one of the most iconic books about food and gastronomy and psychology in a way. Uh, he said, uh, tell me what you eat and I'll tell you who you are. In essence, is what I try to get out of the show. When I have guests, I try to understand who they are through food. 
what they ate when they were young, what they cook when they were in an emergency helping. Obviously, for me, food is family, is entertainment, is creativity, is art, uh, is history, is tradition. Food is so many things. But I think in these Longer Table podcasts, I'm really trying to get into the spirit of trying to see what's behind the people. I think storytelling has a fascinating way to ground us, to hook us, to connect us with other people. I say as a chef, I'm a storyteller. When I open a restaurant, it's my way to express, not myself, but to express the feelings that I gather through hundreds of thousands of people influencing me. When I open a Chinese-Mexican, this is a way for me to communicate my love for China, my love for Mexico, their people, their cooks. And this is my storytelling of what I see. It's not any different than a painter or a novelist writing about an issue or writing about a place or painting about a place. I do believe in essence, storytelling is what makes us human. I don't believe wouldn't be humanity without the very deep thing inside our DNA that we are at heart storytellers for life. You've opened a lot of restaurants in your time. Once you've served 150 million meals in Ukraine, does opening a new restaurant in New York or LA, like, does it seem small? What's the motivation at this stage for going back to that? Is it like a relief? Well, I'm going through a, a unique moment in my life. Sometimes it's hard to focus, right? Because you have family, you have children, you have wife, you have close friends that you barely find time to dedicate. That's not happening in my life anymore. And sometimes that's hard. And you miss important moments of your daughters, of your wife, of your friends, because you are obviously the business that require you to be there. I've been trying to make it always not so much about me, but about the teams. And, and sometimes I fail miserably. But I always say it's not me cooking every day in minibar in Saitinia, in China Chilcano. Those are the chefs. It's like when the press wants to talk to me, I'm like, well, you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm sure I've been the creator and, and yes, and I'm the owner and everything. But, but take a look at all those young people we have in every one of these restaurants. Talk to them. The culinary profession, the the restaurant profession involves many people and waiters and sommeliers and bartenders and busboys. And you are only as good as the last dish you cook. And this is almost like you are always on a triple mortal without net. And you are hoping that you are landing on your two feet. And that is the excitement for me. I have mini bar, my 12 seat, which I barely spend all the time I will love. I cook a lot at home where I bring my teams because sometimes, you know, I cannot be in 12 places at once. So in, I have 40 restaurants. I cannot be in 40 at once. That gets almost like if I am a soccer player, a football player, a quarterback. <laughs> Every week you go play to one different place. Is is the way I feel sometimes. You go and, and you go to a restaurant and another and another and another and another because people want to see you and you want to see them. But yes, it's becoming hard. But that's why I keep emphasizing it's not me, it's the people. 
Every restaurant has a very big family of very talented people that they are the ones making it happen. If I didn't believe was there that passion and that talent in others, I wouldn't be opening more. So for me, still, it's very interesting. The only the issue is that I have a lot of interesting things going on. I have a TV show with my daughters in one channel uh, in Discovery. I have I put the boys in another channel in Disney. I have this the podcast I'm teaching at George Washington University right now. I'm the co-chair of the White House Food Conference. I'm the co-chair of the Bipartisan Council uh, Policy Center for bringing uh, a good farm bill where both parties will agree on. Why I'm doing these things? Because if I don't do them now, I'm alive. I'm not going to do it later when I'm somewhere up there in the sky cooking for the angels. So let's do it now. I'm here. <laughs> I know we don't have too much more time, but I do want to ask you, all these different things you're doing, it's hard. And there's been a lot of, particularly going through the pandemic, a lot of stress that a lot of people and businesses have had to get used to managing. I'm sure you get demoralized sometimes. How do you keep your spirits up? How do you manage your own stress? Do you have advice for people about how to keep the hope moving forward when there are all these obstacles in the way? Listen, it's not easy for me either every day. I have a tear often. I think it's good, especially for men. I think it's good to cry. And it's good to cry and others seeing you cry. Especially for men, because it seems we are always this kind of shell, hard people that I think everybody should cry when you feel like you are emotional. Or... I cry very often for happiness. Sometimes I cry for not delivering to the people that need you the most. For me, on Bolsa and Kitchen, it's hard sometimes when I leave some of the missions. Because even I know people are in a better place. They're still far away from what they should be. And they don't complain. And they go on with their lives. And then... I go to the comfort of my shower and I have the feeling of complaining that the water is not hot enough. When people didn't even have for weeks water to drink, even less to bath. I think if anything, Wall Central Kitchen has given me and the people work with Wall Central Kitchen gives you another perspective on life. Everybody should enjoy life. And I go and I open my bottle of great Rioja wine and, and I buy lobsters from Maine and I make a great Spanish paella and and I celebrate life with my friends and family. People should not feel guilty. But I think it's good just to balance life and understanding the places we're living in, the world we're living in. I'm aware who I am and the life I have, but I'm aware the life others have. It's not to be sad, it's just to be pragmatic. And then what can you do just to make the lives of others at least try to, to move up, to get closer to yours? This is, in a way, what keeps me going. When I've seen cooks that began with us 20, 30 years ago, and some of them became sous chefs of chefs, or they move on on their own restaurants, and now they own one house or two houses, and they send money to their countries, and they live well, and their children are going to university. This is what keeps me going. I think, if anything, I would say that we all have a tendency used to concentrate and give too much time to everything is wrong in our lives. And we barely celebrate the things that are in front of us that we take for granted. And this is actually what we should be proud of and concentrating on. And they say, if you are in a hole, stop digging. 
If you feel sad, if you feel down, if you feel overwhelmed, you just stop digging. Just look up. Don't look down at your sorrows. Look up at your opportunities. Because the sorrows are there anyway. There's nothing you can do about them sometimes. But look about everything else because that's what is going to keep you going. Well, Jose, thank you for sharing, giving us permission to feel and to celebrate and to be inspired. And thanks for spending time with us. I hope you'll come back another time. This has been great. I will. Thank you for having me on yours. I invite everybody to join mine too. Uh, I hope I'll do fine. I hope uh, my podcast will be okay. It'll be at least half of the I'm yours. sure it'll be a lot of fun. I'm sure being at those longer tables will be fun. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing, and the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans, and we created our go-to-market strategy. Before we are in full rollout mode, we are at stage gates, so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners. For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale Rapid Response is a Wait What original. It's hosted by me, Bob Safian, Masters of Scale's editor-at-large. Masters of Scale host is Reid Hoffman. Our executive producers are June Cohen, Darren Triff, and Jordan McLeod. Our head of content and production is Lori Hoffman. Our producer is Marie McCoy-Thompson. Scripts by Alex Morris and Tucker Ligurski. Our music director is Ryan Holiday. Original music and sound design by Eduardo Rivera. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson, Stephen Davies, Andrew Nault, and Mike Gallagher. Mixing and mastering by Aaron Bastinelli. Special thanks to Adam Skuse, Catherine Clark Gray, Emily McManus, Adam Heiner, Colin Howarth, Tim Cronin, Kelsey Capitano, Sammy Aputa, Anna Pizzino, Sarah Tartar, Leah Saramedis, Charlie Manessis, Chinemia Zaquena, Aria Finger, and Saida Sapieva. Visit mastersofscale.com slash rapid response to find the transcript for this episode. And please subscribe to our email newsletter. Become a member of Masters of Scale to get access to a year's worth of courses and content on the Masters of Scale courses app. Find out more at mastersofscale.com slash membership. <laughs>